Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Father, we thank you this morning that you are the cornerstone. You are our only hope. And we thank you that you're the hope of the world as well. Lord, thank you for our time to be able to lift up our voices and sing to the God that we love, to the God that continues to change lives. We are so thankful to be in relationship with you this morning. In Jesus' name we give thanks. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much, uh, band. I appreciate that. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. Anybody struggle this morning to get out of bed? I tell you, I know it's only an hour, but I swear it feels like a week. <laughs> Even Pastor James had to call me this morning. He was a little concerned because I'm normally here really early, and I wasn't. He <laughs> said, are you out of bed yet? I said, barely. But... Um, yeah, I realized that a lot of people uh, went away from March break. Uh, some people call it spring break, which I never understood why they call it spring break when we're still in the middle of winter. It doesn't even make sense. But uh, some people went down south to get a taste of some warm sunshine and hope that summer would come again to Sarnia. But I want to say thank you for those who stuck around uh, here in Sarnia. Good to have you here uh, this morning. If this is your first time, uh, with us, I want you to know, besides that we are very grateful that you would share part of your weekend with us, I want you to know that we are a church that is motivated, a church that is on a mission, and that mission is to connect people to Jesus uh, and to one another. Like we, I don't know how to explain it strong enough, but we're so convinced, we're, we're to the core of who we are, that Jesus is a game changer, and that the most important relationship anybody can ever have is a relationship with Jesus. And we truly believe that life is so much richer, so much better when we do it together. So that's it in a nutshell, in a nutshell who we are, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. I also want to welcome those who are watching online this morning. I'll give you a shout out. And from wherever you may be joining us, we're glad to have you aboard this morning. This week has been, um, I'll be honest with you, it's been a tough week. I have really found this to be a tough week. Um, a really, really good, good friends of mine, like really, really close friends of mine. Um, Wednesday, their, their son died of suicide. And um, this is the third close friend I've had this year whose son has died of suicide, three sons. And this is a colleague, uh, he's a pastor. And, uh, you know, you look at a, a young man who has his whole future, you think their whole future, 24 years old, loves to lead worship, uh, loves to write songs about God and his relationship with God, and, and yet uh, the struggle of mental illness. And uh, we're just really beginning to scratch the surface of even uh, how to help people that struggle with that. And so it's been kind of a, a heavy week uh, for me this week, which maybe for some of you it's been a tough week as well. Um, I'm going to ask, uh, for those who have downloaded the church app, okay, if you downloaded the church app, would you pull out your phone right now? Just pull out your phone. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer it. Now, when you answer this question, I just want you to know we don't have any way to identify the answer, okay? So you can be very truthful. So if you have your phone, go to your church app, 
okay? I'm going to do a survey this morning. Go to your church app, and on the bottom of the page, it says notifications in the gray bar, if you see it there. Okay, do you see it where it says notifications? Just press notifications, and there's going to be a question there. The question is, how many, how many of us struggle to put our past regrets behind us? So if you have your phone, would you, do, would you answer that right now? It's, and then immediately it will uh, tell us the, the survey, how many people, um, let's see, here we go. Do you see the question there? No. I don't either, actually. <laughs> it's under the word shame. You see the word shame? Press notifications. Press, and there's a word that says shame. You see it? Okay. Press it, and it'll say, how many of you struggle to put your past regrets behind you? Just either press I do or I do not. That's all I need. You know, like some people can go rob a bank and then, you know what? I forget all about it. Never think, give it another thought. Some people steal a pencil from their office and they're plagued with it for the rest of their life. So uh, can you just do that now? Let's see what comes up here. Just kind of see what comes up. And I don't see this working. Okay. Oh. Oh, ho, ho. you see it on your phones, the answer? It says here, 86% of you who voted, just vote it now, say, I do have a problem. I do struggle putting the past. Uh, that doesn't surprise me, actually. I thought it would be fairly high, but 83% said I struggle to put the past behind me. That's kind of what I want to deal with. Uh, a little bit this morning and and this morning's message really got kind of got breathed out of the fact of of a number of conversations that I've had over the last month uh, people right here not like way out in the boondock but people right here in our own church family who have struggled to put the past behind them they get weighed down by it and so we're going to deal with that uh, this morning it was March 22nd, 1824, in Madison County, Indiana. Nine Native Americans were killed. Two men, three women, four children. It would later be known as the Fall Creek Massacre. They were killed by six white men the six white men who were involved in the murders were caught and sentenced to a death by hanging this would be a very historical execution because never before in history had a white man been executed for killing a native american it was june 3rd the date that three of those men would be hanged John Bridges Sr., John Bridges Jr., and Andrew Sawyer. And John Bridges Jr. watched, along with a very large crowd that had gathered that day, Andrew Sawyer, his uncle, walk 
towards the gallows and hanged. Next in line was his father. He watched the execution of the man who had raised him. The man who had taken him on a journey to murder and to steal. When John Jr. turned to the gallows and began his walk, every eye was upon him. Everybody was paying close attention because he was only an 18-year-old boy. Some had thought the punishment was too severe, too, uh, too harsh for such a young man, and that it was his father and uncle who had coerced him and to be in part of these horrific acts. I can only imagine the terror and the shame that he felt as he took his first step onto the gallows with his legs weak and shaken. I can only imagine the shame that he felt as he stood in front of that crowd where he knew everybody knew he was guilty. He took his next step, stood over the trap door, they put a hood over his face, his head. They tightened the noose. The executioner put his hand on the lever to pull. And seconds before that lever was pulled, a man rode in on a horse. And he said, John Jr., do you know who I am? Of course, his face was covered. He says, shook his head, no. He said, there's only two powers in our land that can keep you from hanging. One is the great God of the universe, and the other is John Brown Ray, the governor of the state of Indiana. And the latter stands before you. Handing over the written pardon to the execution, he said, John Jr., you have been pardoned. In an instant, what looked to be a hopeless situation was turned into a door of hope. John went back to his hometown, opened up a store, lived 51 more years peacefully, and then died. For a moment, the terror that John felt would be like very few have ever experienced in their life. There's someone actually in the Bible who shared a very similar situation. So close to death. At the last minute, somebody stepped in. It's a story of a woman dragged into the, into the public eye for everyone to see her. Right? She was put on display in front of the crowd and everything was shared about her disgraceful acts that she was found in. And she was about to experience the horrific death of stoning. It was an absolutely terrifying moment. And what Jesus did for that guilty and full of shame woman, he continues to do today. As she stood before Jesus as a condemned sinner, she left a changed woman. 
So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I, I hope you do, I hope you bring them on Sunday mornings or a phone that you can follow along, would you turn to John chapter 8 with me? John chapter 8. We're going to read the account. Uh, for some of you, this is a very familiar story. For others, maybe you've never heard it before. So John chapter 8. Um, if the Bible's fairly new to you, John is part of the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, John chapter 8. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught, if you can believe this, in the very act of adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap and in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, well then go ahead, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Now go now and live your life. And leave your life of sin. Here's a lady who is publicly humiliated. And her sin is disclosed to everyone. She's brought to the center of town. She's brought down to the temple because everybody knows that's going to be the place where there's lots and lots of people. There will be a large crowd for sure at the temple. And the Pharisees, these religious leaders, these religious people, have dragged this woman. They have a plot. They've been trying to get rid of Jesus. And they thought they had a foolproof accusation. And they wanted to see what Jesus would do for her because whatever answer that he gave, he would be in trouble. Finally, they thought Jesus has no wiggle room. Finally, they have caught him, and now he is in a jam. They really thought they had stumped him, but they had met their match. All of this, all of this woman's life She's been a prisoner of her own lusts and desires. And Jesus comes along and unlocks those shackles that have held her bound in sin and, has, and sets her free. And that's amazing. Jesus is a specialist when it comes to taking wasted, ruined lives and restoring them by his amazing grace. That's the grace of God. Restoring a life and, and giving it purpose again. And when Jesus looks at anyone who is full of shame, and lost he doesn't just see the shame and loss he sees the potential and a life changed for him for the last 2,000 years people have always wondered what did Jesus write in the on the ground like what did he write in the sand that caused everyone to pay attention 
Some say maybe Jeremiah 17, 18, which says, let those who persecute me be put to shame. But as for me, let me not be put to shame. Oh, maybe it was Leviticus 20.10. If there is a man who, is com who commits adultery with another man's wife, let them both be put to death. Well, where's the man? They caught her in the very act. The man must have been there too. You know, maybe Jesus wrote the names of the girlfriends of the Pharisees. Maybe he just wrote forgiven. Whatever it was, it got their attention. They brought her to Jesus because they wanted her to be exposed. Notice in that passage how Jesus actually addresses her. I don't think I caught this before until this week. He, he calls her woman. Now Jesus only, or John only uses that term two other times in the entire book of John. In chapter 2, and in chapter 19, and both are given as a title of honor to his mother. And that's how he dresses this woman. His mother Mary is only addressed with this title of honor. It's a term of honor given to women worthy of honor. And to this, in this society, this woman was anything but a woman of honor. Anything but a, uh, a lady. But Jesus has a way of seeing things, not as they, how they are, but how they can be. In other words, he didn't see this woman as she was. He really did see her as what she could become through him. That Jesus could actually take a, a, a godless or a carnal or a person that's full of shame and turn them into a lady. Or in this situation, a woman of honor. Let me just say, friend, you don't have to live that life that is full of shame. That's what Jesus does. He takes the shame away from us. If you come to Jesus. The reality is every saint, every one of us have a past. And every sinner has a future. That's the power of God. Now, what we just read here is really a public, uh, it's public shame. But for some of us, it's private. It's a private shame. You know, you've never told anyone. And you pray that it never comes to light. Well, there's a man of the Bible like that as well. Many of you would know his story. His name is King David. He thought he could keep his shame under wraps that nobody would ever know. You can find his story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. We don't really have time to look at that this morning, but let me give you the 60-second rundown. David is out on his balcony. We know this story, many of us. Just kind of surveying the land, the kingdom. And lo and behold, he sees a very, very beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop and he sends word to her invites her over wines and dines her and spends the night with her the problem is this lady is the wife of one of his faithful military men 
In fact, this man that night is out fighting to protect King David. And he spends the night with her, sends her back home, and I think he thinks, a night of pleasure, great for me. But word comes back. Uh-oh. The word comes back shortly afterwards. She's pregnant. But her husband is still away fighting a battle. And so David has to do something to try to cover it all up. Somehow he's got to cover up what he's just done. So he sends word to the captain, Joab, and comes up with this plan. He says, you know what, I, I'll get word. I, I want to report as to what's happened in the battle. So um, a messenger is sent to Joab. You know, I want to hear how things are going. Send back Uriah, Bathsheba's wife. Let him come and give me the report. So, of course, that's what happens. It seems innocent enough. Okay, he wants to hear from Uriah. So Uriah comes back, gives the report, and David's quite pleased how the battle is going. And he says to Uriah, you know what? Before you go back to the battle, go home and spend the night with your wife. Sounds innocent enough. Sounds like a great treat from the king. And he does go back home, but he doesn't enter into the house. He sleeps out on the front porch because he begins to think to himself, how can I enjoy a night of pleasure when my comrades are actually have their lives out on the line on the battlefield? I, I can't do that. And so word comes back to David. He didn't spend the night with his wife. And so David comes up like, okay, that plan didn't work. Oh, <laughs> I know what I'll do. I, I, I got them figured out. I'll invite him over again and I'll get him drunk. And that's what he does. He wines and dines him and gets him to the point he's drunk and then sends him home. And he still doesn't go in and spend the night with his wife. So David's got to come up with something else. I got to cover this shame somehow. I can't let anybody know what I've done. And so he thinks he has one choice. And that choice is to kill her husband. And then I'll marry Bathsheba. And word, of course, is sent to the commanding officer. I'm sure Joab is confused when he gets the message. Put Uriah at the front of the battle line. Put him in the worst place the battle is being fought and then retreat and leave him by himself. What kind of strategy is that? But Joab, that's the king's order. And of course, that's exactly what happens. And word comes back to David that he's dead. Okay, now I'll marry Bathsheba and nobody will ever know. He thought he had it all covered up, all the loose ends. Nobody will ever know. Except one day. One day, a man named Nathan comes and has a conversation with David. I think David's used to having the prophet Nathan stop by and chat. Probably not expecting anything different. Until one day when Nathan says, points his finger right at him and says, David, you are guilty. You're guilty. He had been caught. His private shame is now out in the open, which is everyone's worst nightmare that someone will find out about my secret shame. Have you ever had someone say to you, 
shame on you. Maybe as a little kid growing up, you know, you do something bad and your aunt says, shame on you. You know, and you can say that so many ways, right? You can say it loud, <laughs> shame on you, shame on you, right? So many ways you can say that. You know, maybe you're at, um, at a summer camp and you sneak out in the middle of the night, the toilet paper, the girls dorm and kind of make a mess of everything and you get caught. I'm not referring to myself, by the way. And, you know, the security guard has got you all, and he's like, shame on you boys. What are you thinking? Well, they happened to, these, actually, these boys came back, and I was the camp counselor. And uh, they came into the room. I was sound asleep. They all walked out, 12 of them. I missed it all. <laughs> and I was like, after the security guard was gone, I still remember, I went and high-fived everybody. It's like, man, that was good. How did you do that without me knowing? You should be part of the Navy SEALs program. That was incredible. You know, there's, um, which you probably know this, but there really is a big difference between feeling guilty and feeling shameful. Big difference between guilt and shame. See, guilt is the feeling that I did bad. Shame is the feeling that I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad, and shame is I am bad. And what we often do is to connect the what with the who. We connect what I did with who I am. I'm I did bad, therefore I am bad. You know, he rejected me, so therefore I'm nothing. She rejected me, therefore I am worthless. I failed at a business venture, therefore, I'm a loser. I lost my marriage, so therefore, I am unlovable. After what I did, I'm hopeless. And shame is when we internalize it. And we begin to think, how could God really ever love me? And shame makes us a prisoner tormented by our past. And then all of a sudden there's this sense of desperation. I'm trapped and I can never get out. And let me tell you, our enemy loves when we get on that shameful merry-go-round. Around and around and around. A shame cycle. And we can't get it out. Our enemy just so desperately wants to destroy our relationship with God and destroy our relationship with people. And so you begin to feel like I don't think God does really care. And I want to tell you, the stakes are high when you don't deal with this. Now, you may go, Donald, I think it's a, it a little over the top, being a little dramatic when you say the stakes are high. No, the stakes are high. I'll tell you why. Give you two examples from the Bible. Two people, two men. Two men who um, denied Christ. Two men <clears throat> who turned their backs on Christ. Two men who betrayed Jesus. Completely two different outcomes. Look at Judas. Look at Peter. Judas betrayed Jesus. He sold him out for a little bit of cash. He couldn't handle it, the shame, and he went and hung himself. Then there's Peter, who denied Jesus on the, on the very night that, you know, you think his closest would just stand beside him and, Jesus, and Peter denies him three times. 
And then we find out that Peter actually accepts the forgiveness and goes out and thousands of people's lives are changed. The stakes are high if we don't deal with some of the shame that we carry. And the very thing that eats away at your soul might be the very thing that actually could motivate you to invest your life for the cause of others. I mean, really, what better person to preach about the forgiveness of Jesus than Peter himself, who has experienced it? So the very thing that brings you pain might be the very thing that can actually bring you freedom. The truth is, you cannot change your past. You can't. You'll never be able to change your past. The past is your past, and it cannot be changed. Accept that truth, but let me tell you, Christ can change your future. That's what makes the difference. Christ can change your future. No matter how deep the pain, no matter how deep the hurt, no matter how deep the shame, God can change your future. And what is amazing is that God can actually take those things, all those things that sometimes we just carry around and shame. I don't know how we can do this, but the Bible says somehow he's able to take those things and work them into something good for you. I don't, I don't understand how he does that. But he says he can use it in your life for something good. Somehow he has the ability to do that. The very thing that we despise can be the thing that allows us to use as a platform to help others. You know, maybe there's some people around here this morning. Maybe there's some here this morning <clears throat> that carry a, a secret addiction and you just don't want anybody to know. You embrace and you conclude, I am a horrible person. You know, maybe you told a lie about somebody, you just keep carrying that around with you. You know, I told a lie, therefore I am a bad person. You know, perhaps you're looking at something that you should not be looking at. You know, maybe you're a Jesus follower and you're engaged in a secret world of lust. Therefore you conclude, I'm a very bad person. Maybe it's your past. Maybe you've had a very active sexual past and you think to yourself, if people ever knew, I wouldn't even be allowed to shake someone's hand at church because you connect the what with the who. You know, some people just walk around, they go, because of my past, because of the shame that I carry on, they come to these conclusions. I am defective. I am damaged. I am broken. I am flawed. I'm dirty. I'm ugly. I'm impure. I'm disgusting. I'm unlovable. I'm weak. I'm pitiful. I'm insignificant. I'm, I'm worthless. I'm unwanted. This is the path that shame leads people to. This is the journey that so many people find themselves walking. People like you and me. People like you and me who are right here this morning. People who call temple their family. Now the thing is, when we have this, this shame-based thinking, we lean towards perfectionism. See, we try to silence our shame by having this error-free performance. 
We have a difficult time admitting failure, so we work hard. We work really hard to show people, I did it, I achieved it, I am not a bad person. We, we lean towards perfectionism. Because of shame-based thinking, we, we sometimes become critical of ourselves, making us critical of others. You know, we see faults and other people, and, 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 and we know they're the same faults that we have, and somehow we can come across as self-righteous. You know, sometimes we meet super critical people because they're dealing with the same issue that maybe you're dealing with. They see their weaknesses in someone else and they lash out. When we have this shame-based thinking, we often will use self-defeating thoughts as a form to protect us and to escape. You know, sometimes we, we focus on the worst possibility. No one will ever like me. I'll never have a close relationship with these self-defeating thoughts. And we uh, end up sabotaging opportunities and relationships. You know, sometimes we, we'll see men who will go off drinking and they get drunk. Uh, and for some, it's, it's a coping mechanism to deal with sometimes the deep, deep shame that is within them. You know, sometimes maybe your in-laws pick on you, how you're raising your kids. Sometimes it's because they know, they feel that they were inadequate with their own kids. And so they lash out. Maybe you've become hypercritical of everyone else. Why? Because down deep inside, you're critical of yourself, reflecting a warp inner identity with shame. My prayer is that our God would heal so many people here this morning of their shame and be set free. Their dark and devastating of, of emotion of shame could, that they could be free. In Isaiah chapter 54, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. And, and as I read through this verse, I couldn't help but think, I, I believe we can also, we can take what he's speaking to Israel. And I think, I think, that truth is still applicable to us. This is what he says in Isaiah 54, 4. He says, fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Oh my goodness. Do you feel that? Fear not, he says. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. How can we be, how can we be set free? Like, how can that really happen? How can we be set free from the shame of our past? I tell you, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, God, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us of all of our unrighteousness, not most of our unrighteousness, all of our unrighteousness. That's how you can be set free from the shame of your past. Here's the good news. If you are in Christ, you are a new 
creation. Do you understand that? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. God separates your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't hold them against you any longer. You are free. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Our good God forgives us of our sins and then remembers them no more. That's God. If anyone calls on him, if anyone calls on him, he is faithful and just to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them. If our God is that good and that real, why do we continue to hold on to the shame from our past? And for those of you here who are followers of Jesus, the thing is we know this in our heads. It's trying to internalize it into our lives. We want to feel it here as well. So sometimes it's just so hard to let go of the shame because it has become part of our identity. And some of you are still believing you are something that God says you're not. That's shame-based thinking. For me, I was exposed myself a little bit. When I have the shame-based thinking, part of it is because so many times I just feel absolutely inadequate. I know I disappoint people all the time. I know it. You know, sometimes people want to have a meeting, you can't be there, somebody wants to have a and you, you just can't do it all. And then I begin to think, you know, you can't do this. What are you doing? And, and I begin to reinforce all that I begin to think. And, and then what I do is I, I try to work so hard to prove myself. Man, I'll put the extra hours in just to prove that I'm not inadequate. When in reality, I know I am. That's where my shame-based thinking takes me. Where does it take you? Let me tell you, the only way, the only way to heal from shame is to move the focus from what I am not to what Christ is. When you focus on yourself, you will always, you will always come up short. When you focus on yourself, you will always say, I am bad, by the way, which is true. You'll always say, I'm inadequate, which in reality is true. You'll always say, I'm pathetic, which is kind of true. That's why we must move our focus from ourselves onto Christ. Fill in the blank. I am not blank because of Christ, I am blank. Fill that in for yourselves. You know, I am not broken because of Christ. I am a new creation. I am not disgusting because of Christ. I am loved. 
I am not, or I, I, I am not inadequate because of Christ. Christ is more than enough. The Lord said to, to Joshua, I love this verse. Today, he says, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery. Not next month, not after you prove yourself, not next year. He says, today I have rolled the shame away from you. Like this moment when you find yourself to be in Christ, today he rolls the shame away. Maybe you've heard that hurtful phrase before where someone has said to you, shame on you, shame on you. I'm here to tell you this morning, shame might have been on you, but because of Christ, shame is rolled off of you. That's the difference. Because of his goodness, because of his grace, Today, when you are in Christ, your shame is off of you. Now, the enemy will continue to try. You are not good enough. What are you thinking? Let me tell you, you're saved because Christ forgave you and nothing else. Shame on me, but God has rolled it off of me and rolled it onto him. Embrace that truth. If you are here this morning in Christ, embrace that truth. You are not what you did in your past. You are not what others say you are. You are not what you think you are. You are not what somebody else tells you are. You are what Christ says you are. You understand that? You are what Christ says you are. And if you are in Christ, you are free, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are complete, you are made new, you are healed if you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a child of God. And the old is gone and everything has become new. He has rolled away the shame, therefore there is no condemnation. So what is it for you? What is it for you? I'm inadequate, but he's more than enough. Today, your shame can be rolled away. Can I read this verse one more time from Isaiah? Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. That's God speaking. You are who you are, who Christ says that you are. Let's pray. God, In your holy presence we come. Lord, this morning, people need to know that what they did is not who they are. Lord, I pray that 
people today would let God forgive them and let God use their once shame past as a platform for good. God, the stakes are too high not to deal with this issue of shame. So according to your word, renew our minds. Take captive our thoughts. And Lord, help us to cling onto the promise that our shame has been removed from us if we are to be found in Christ. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to say if you're here this morning without Christ, you too can have the shame of your past rolled off of you and onto Christ. Let Christ transform your life today. Trust him. Believe in him. The one who loves you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.